0: Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Tayman. And welcome back to Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host, Ben Siders, that's me, and the other guy is Kirk Damon. That's Kirk, as in the Captain of the Enterprise. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at KirkDMN. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at LGGpod. And you can find all this information on our website, lggpodcast.com, now with new branding. Actually, I put that up a couple weeks ago, so it's been there for a while, but I think we forgot to mention it. Yep, I also have
1: to plug the fact that, you know, the captain of the Enterprise has now been to space. Yes, Um, yes, at at long last.
0: (laughs) Well, I uh, thank you to one and all for keeping up with the uh, various edamame episodes while we uh, continue to try to get new content out to you. Today is that new content, and boy, do we have a humdinger! I...
1: <laughs> We've been wanting to do this episode for like three weeks because it's so interesting.
0: Yeah, we uh, we discovered this. Um, I don't remember how we discovered it. I think I saw it on one of our our news feeds. Yeah, about it was one of IP, our IP law news fees, I uh, And I, I think I sent it to Kirk, and I was like, okay, we, we have to cover this. Um, but it sort of uh, required a little bit of groundwork laying uh, with some other. T- And we had Google v. Oracle, which, as you'll find out, plays into this a little bit. Um, So the issue is uh, basically is a copyright episode and probably the last of our nuts and bolts theme where we kind of get down into the details of how these things work. And this episode was inspired by a real-life event, and we'll we'll link to uh, an article about this. Uh, but the, the story was broken by, we think, a Cory Doctorow, who if you don't know who that is, uh, look him up. He's a, an acclaimed fiction author. Uh, he's somebody you should know about. Um, I'm going to warn you, he is a little hostile towards <laughs> IP rights in general, <laughs> um, at least the way that they work now. And he has historically been a, a big supporter, an advocate for uh, file sharing and things like that. So if you don't know who he is and you like this kind of stuff, you should know who he is. So go look him up. But uh, on his Medium.com page uh, back in August... Uh, he was, we think, the first to break a story of a professor uh, We think it's a professor Dr. Robert Hoveden Who has acquired an unusual copyright uh, Hovden is, uh, I don't know anything about him other than what uh, Corey reports but, reports, but it sounds like he is a bit of a pot stirrer, you would say. Yeah, that's a um,
1: good way to describe it. He's, interesting, he's a physics professor. Oh, is he? Okay. Apparently.
0: Yeah, well, he uh, back in 2014, he had created uh, reproductions of M.C. Escher works uh, at the nanoscale and then sold them, uh, I think because he was trying to provoke Escher's estate, who apparently is famously litigious, I don't know anything about it, uh, but they're supposedly very litigious and he wanted to provoke them into suing him over selling a copyright nobody can See. Literally, yeah, see literally nobody can see <laughs> With that electron scanning microscope um, um i don't think that actually happened although i do think it annoyed the escher estate so uh dr uh Hovden's latest trick is that he has acquired a copyright registration on his magic the gathering deck which according to uh Corey doctorow uh Hovden has said he might try to use to prohibit other players from playing his deck in tournaments so kirk <laughs> <laughs> this is a relatively simple thing. I copyrighted my Magic the Gathering deck, but what a doctrinal, chaotic uh, mess. Yes. So uh,
1: I think one place to start with it here is exactly what does it mean to copyright it. Now, interestingly enough, we mentioned on this show before the fact that you don't actually have to... Um, to do anything, really. You don't have to do anything to get a copyright. You actually get a copyright simply by the fact of having it. Um, and so, you know, I think you've got the, the issue here of what did this person actually you know, get a copyright in? Well, he got a copyright registration. That's yeah. what he actually was able to do.
0: Yeah, so um, the, the Copyright Act actually says that uh, we're, we're going to read some stuff here. We don't really like to read to you too much on the podcast, but this episode kind of requires it. So uh, the Copyright Act says, you can Google this, it's uh, uh, Title 17 of the United States Code, Section 102. Copyright protection, protection subsists in original works of authorship fixed in any tangible medium of expression. Uh, you'll hear that phrase a lot. Original works of authorship fixed in any tangible medium of expression. So basically means once you can prove that it exists, you've got it copyrighted if it's copyrightable.
1: Yeah. Um, And and again, basically the the thing with it and what we bump into with this is you have to have an original work of authorship. Yes. Uh, and what we're really going to get into here is what is authorship, I mean, yeah. more so even than what is original. Yeah. Um,
0: because but the originality requirement is, uh, I, I got it in my notes here, it's originality, Think, think focus on the root word originate or origin we're not talking about original like oh it's such a novel and unusual thing uh it's not about creativity that's a separate requirement or or like uniqueness uh it's just that it originated from you which goes to what we always say about the copyright act what is it really about copying copying yes which means you have to originate it and not copy it (laughs)
1: yeah and that's the, the, the real key thing about this and and i think this is in some sense where our our provocateur is both missing the point of the provocation and those responding to him are being provoked in the wrong direction, um, is what the Copyright Act is actually for. It is for copying. It is Mm -hmm. for a right to make copies. Um, And so, you know, I think that's one of those things where we we just need to keep that in mind um, of we are not necessarily talking about something about, you know, being original um, I mean, sorry, about being the, the sort of, you know, like, original being a creative being unique, yeah. and anything like that. And no one's ever done anything like this yeah, before. It's not, That's not really it's it. It's not that it was what it is. It's just simply that you are the first one to come up with this work, yeah. um, you know, as to... It originated from it. you. And We, yeah, we, we, we from
0: often you. say, like, if you had two people who sat independently created, an identical book, word for word, and both were completely original works, you know, just by pure coincidence, they would both... Separately own copyrights to their copy. It would still be, I think, illegal or be a violation to copy the other person's version, but it would not be illegal to copy your Your own own version, even though
1: they're identical. Yeah, Yeah,
0: (laughs) because it's about copying. So that's kind of a thought exercise we use. I don't know if that's actually how the courts would deal with that. We've never seen that before. The idea is
1: that the thing about it is that vanishingly rare. I mean, the idea that you could actually simultaneously produce the same work, you know, in anything which has sufficient originality to be entitled to copyright is vanishingly small I mean, like well, that's the that's the you know counting the grains of sand in the on the beach
0: type of argument so actually a, a, a quick anecdote here when i was a a kid i was really into garfield comics my dad had oh, brought me i'm usually me a, into garfield yeah. comics
1: now i bought all the books <laughs> for my kids They're, they have just finished book
0: 71 <laughs> I had an encyclopedic knowledge of like, all of the Garfield uh, strips from like, the, the 80s and 90s. I remember reading our, my local newspaper. It was the Waterloo Courier in Waterloo, Iowa. And they ran a strip of the Marvin comic, Marvin the Baby. And it was uh, word by word, panel by panel, identical to a Garfield comic from like, the early 80s. And I, uh, you know, being an obnoxious uh, a kid, wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper complaining that they were ripping off Garfield comics. <laughs> uh, and uh, they actually took Marvin out of our newspaper <laughs> because of that and then sent a letter to his publisher uh, complaining about them ripping off this Garfield plot. It was really a simple plot. It was like Garfield says, uh, eat and sleep, that's all I do. I hope there's more to a cat's life. Or no, <laughs> there's got to be more to a cat's life than that. But I hope not. Right. Yeah. You know, which, if you think about it, that would apply to a baby and really half the people we know. So, <laughs> but uh, exactly. We, well, the courier got a response back, which uh, which they also sent to me, where uh, the publisher pointed out instances of the exact same comic joke being published independently and I, on the, on the same day. They're yeah. like, you know, when you have things with, you know, there's only so many jokes to go around, and sometimes yep. two different people genuinely come up with the same idea, express it almost identically. It's not an infringement. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to think which, which artist it is, and it's, unfortunately I can't remember if, it's, if it was in Bloom County or if it was in Doonesbury, but it's one that I had from the 80s. And the guy actually pointed out the that fact that he'd done this same joke, yeah. like seven years apart, and I hadn't realized he'd done the same joke. And then there was another one where they'd done a similar, and again, it was like a Doonesbury strip had done a Bloom County strip or something along those lines. Um, you know, where that same kind of thing happened. And yeah, part of it's just, it's the same joke. You know, yeah. but it, they're, obviously they're different characters. They're slightly different wording. Almost what's a, more is a baby's life, cat's life, you yeah. know, stuff like they're, that. They're very similar in a yeah. lot of ways.
0: <laughs> my, my dog's not all that unusual, dissimilar from them <laughs> for that matter. So that's what we mean by original. It's about origination and not copying. Mm-hmm. It's not about being super creative. That said, creativity is also a requirement to have in a copyright. The thing you make must have this. They call it the threshold of creativity. You must have at yeah. least a little tiny bit, more than none. So I always give the example of, a, of like a yardstick. If I tried to copyright a yardstick, they'd say no, for several reasons. One, it's not <laughs> eligible for copyright protection, but, but two, there's no creativity, right? You've, yeah. just, you've just taken a measuring tool.
1: The common phrase that I've heard always in conjectured is modicum of originality. Yes. Um, so you can't copyright something which is completely unoriginal. So we bumped into it in the idea like, hey, short phrases can't be copyrighted because they're not considered sufficiently Single original. Single words, generally not. Um, you bump into like one, you know, we've encountered in Conjectuate is like if you say artworks that are based upon some other, something else, Yeah. you know, so it's an art, that, the example is like these found artworks where they say, you know, hey, I have this urinal and the fact that I place it in a museum makes it an artwork. You bump into it and say, does that have sufficient originality to actually be copyrighted? write it. Yeah. Because you haven't done anything other than place yeah. it in a museum. Now one can argue that the act of placing it in the museum is the act of originality and therefore subject to copyright. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a really reasonable argument. But it's then the if somebody else takes the same urinal and puts it in a you know in a museum yeah. in the bathroom, what does that mean? Um, you know, and those kind of things sort of with it where you, you bump into that what's where is that modicum of originality?
0: And also we should say as a side note, you get into problems with certain types of, of really modern art. I was I was at an event once where they were doing a... I forget what it's called, but it's like walking art where... Um, you get a group of people and you go do something together and the people doing the thing, whatever it is, becomes the work itself. Yeah. Uh, so at, at that or you have you know, three-dimensional sculptures where the art is how they move. So although the sculpture itself might be copyrighted, it's it's questionable whether there's a copyright in the way that it moves yeah. uh, because that can't be fixed in a tangible medium. Now you can say, I can get a camera out and record it. Okay, but then, then the artwork there is a video yeah. recording, not the sculpture.
1: Well, we've touched on this before. This was one of the issues in conjunction with jazz music and the art argument of, you know, it can you copyright jazz music because yeah. it's by definition yeah. improvisation. improvisational art Yeah. but as soon as you record it you can obviously get it in the recording yeah. but then it's arguably no longer jazz yeah. you know? and so you, you bump into those types of you know questions that, I mean, they're, they're philosophical questions in some yeah. respects but y- you do bump into the idea that you, know, you need this modicum of originality and you need it to be in fixed form so you need it to be something which is fixed
0: so let's talk about Hovden's deck does it pass these <laughs> tests is it original
1: well first off we need to mention this is what they call a in a collective work Yep. And I think it's important to point out the fact that there is a copyright in a collective work. And what a collective work is, is the fact that you took other works and you put them together in a yep. particular way.
0: Technically now, we call it a compilation. Usually a compilation. The, copyright
1: Act. the thing what it is, is it's you think about the, the real basis of this, a collection of short stories by other authors.
0: Yep. A newspaper. A newspaper. Magazines.
1: You know, those types of things with it. These are things where the the editor is the author yep. in many respects. And
0: so It's about we... the selection and arrangement. What am I going to include? Yeah. What am I going to exclude? Is there creativity involved in, in coming up with basically the list of things?
1: Yeah, and that's, and that's I think the general acceptance is yes, there is. Yes, You know, you've had this with it, and so it's entitled to copyright to say, if I generate the same collection of short stories as somebody else, and I do so by copying, I have infringed a copyright by putting their short stories together. Now, I've also infringed the copyright in the stories themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, there's multiple copyrights that are playing out here. But part of it is the idea that there's this copyright in the physical <laughs> compilation. And this is where you get copyrights in things like a phone book. Where you can look at it and say there's no copyright in the underlying phone numbers, even the yeah. fact that they're arranged alphabetically. Names, orders. addresses,
0: it's all just data. Yeah,
1: but you can still get a copyright on somebody who photocopies a page out of the phone book because it's identical and it's copied all it's the other arrangement, stuff. it's yeah. copied everything else in conjunction with. So that's what this is is a copyright in a compilation. So the key thing to keep in mind, he owns none of the copyrights in the cards. I yep. mean, and anybody who knows magic cards knows these cards all have art on them. They are themselves
0: compilations, typically. Yeah, they are
1: themselves <laughs> compilations because they have rules and art and everything else, you know, on them. Um, and so, you know, that's an aspect of this, you know, that you've got to deal with. You have a, he's basically saying, I have the copyright in the compilation of the particular cards in the deck.
0: So does the compilation involve, uh, we'll start with creativity, that's the easy one, threshold creativity. I think without I think it, no. without a doubt it makes yeah.
1: threshold creativity. Again, this is a low threshold, you know, threshold yeah. creativity is a low threshold. The uniqueness of putting the decks together. Now, you do get into a question of, is it functional because it is a playing card deck? We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that in a minute. But let's get to the idea of, you know, from the idea of of it being just a compilation. Is the selection and arrangement
0: creative? I would say definitely. Definitely, definitely is. Yeah. And then, is it original? And that's a harder question to answer because we don't actually know if he based this deck on somebody else's deck or how he came up
1: with it. He talks about the idea of using this deck and, and, you know, there's some discussion of him wanting to insert this deck for purposes of tournaments. One is to wonder whether or not he actually created the deck. And yeah. so is he actually the author here? That could present a, a future problem that's nowhere... We can't know. Yeah. Because unfortunately that's something that is only in his head as to you know what it is. But let's assume he did create the actual Like He was the first person to put this particular group of... And I can't remember how many cards are in a magic deck. Is it, is it 60? I
0: think you have um, between 30 and 60. 30, I, haven't, so have I haven't played in I ages. I haven't
1: played ages either. And it's one of those things where it's the... I can't remember what the, the number of cards is. Uh, but obviously, let's assume that he is the only person to have put all this collection of cards in, and it's not based upon somebody else's deck that might be a slight variation. Yeah, It, it truly is something that's completely
0: new. So I think let's yep. start with that. And so we ha- we have to also assume that he didn't do something like like, use a random number generator to pick them at random. That would probably not be enough for the creativity... Well, the yeah. originality maybe, with the creativity threshold, no.
1: Probably not, because, again, it's also not him as the author.
0: Yeah, then you get into the monkey uh, selfie situation. Yeah, so the- it depends on how he did this. Let's just assume that he sat down, he knows how to play Magic, and he was like, here's the strategy, here's how I want to win, and here's the cards I'm going to select, and it's not yeah. based on somebody else's deck. It's not based so. on
1: somebody else's deck. We're going to say... Yeah. Again, we're making a lot of assumptions yeah. here, but there are assumptions which... If, if none of these assumptions are true, he's not entitled to the copyright.
0: Yeah. And, and so this to becomes say, uninteresting. The point is to say that he it's not categorically ineligible for copyright protection on this basis. A court wouldn't come in and say, no, you could never get a copyright to this because it can never have the requisite level of originality or, or creativity. Certainly a defendant would argue that. I mean, I would. But, yeah. um But that's not something I would expect to win on. I think it's possible that there's a set of facts that exist. We'll assume that they're, they're present here I think it's that actually, would meet these two. I think it's even
1: highly likely that that set of facts doesn't exist. But I think we need to accept the fact that that set of facts does exist or so the copyright yeah. so the copyright can exist in conjunction with it. Most it doesn't.
0: This is a short podcast. Yeah,
1: this is, well, <laughs> this is the law school hypothetical, too, yeah. where it's kind of coming in and saying, you know, let's assume the following things are all true
0: for the purposes of the hypothetical. Okay so'll we'll assume he's eligible let's see if the work that he's got is actually in the category of things you can copyright uh, this is in I think uh, that that same chapter uh, uh, title 17 USC section 102 Google it you'll find it uh, where they list the nine categories of things you can copyright there's actually a tenth called or I'm sorry the eight categories there is a tenth called a uh, vessel hull design registrations which I've never once well that's
1: relatively new too yeah. um, you know so it is yeah you can actually copyright the design of a vessel hull. Not the the blueprint of it, but the physical hall yeah.
0: itself. So, uh, number one, literary works is the collection a literary work. I would say no.
1: It's got literary elements to it.
0: I guess. So like I guess if you made the list, we're going to get into this too, which is what exactly is the copyright? But yeah, at least on the face, the list of cards is 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 just a set of of identifying the cards. It's not really a literary word.
1: And this is where I think it's important to say is, are we talking, what are we saying the copyright is? Is it the list of cards or is it the deck of cards? The
0: collection, yeah.
1: And so when you really say it's a collection, it really means the deck of cards. Yeah. Um, And I think that's an
0: issue of it. Because the, the list would just be something he sat down and wrote. You know, you wouldn't even need to have an access to the deck to write down a list. You just have to know what the cards are. So we're going to assume that the copyright is the the deck itself and not like a written list of the cards. Yeah. Okay, so uh, not a literary work. Number two, musical works. Clearly not. Clearly not. Uh, Number three, dramatic works. Clearly not. No. Number four, pantomimes and choreographic works. Nope. Nope. Uh, number five, pictorial, graphic, and sculptural works. Probably its best argument. Yeah. I mean, the cards are. The, the deck itself, I guess you'd say, is. But as we're going to find out in a second, he doesn't actually own, even under the compilation, any of that stuff. So
1: Yeah, well, the compilation thing I think we've got here is we'd say it's a, arguably a compilation of pictorial, pictorial graphic, and sculptural works.
0: works yeah. uh, six, motion picture and audiovisual works. No. no. Seven, sound recording. No. no. Eight, architectural. No. Vehicle
1: no. yeah, hall, obviously. Yeah.
0: Not. <laughs> yeah. So, uh,. So, yeah, so, what, so what does he have the copyright to? And this is where the compilation idea comes in, and it's in the very next section of the Copyright Act where it says that uh, the foregoing categories that we just listed includes compilations and derivative works, but protection for a work that employs pre-existing material in which copyright subsists does not extend to any part of the work in which such material has been used unlawfully.
1: Hmm. <laughs>
0: well, I, I don't think you could argue that putting together the deck is unlawful. That's no, exactly it's, what it's what you're
1: supposed to do with the cards. I yeah. mean, there's no question that that's authorized by you know wh- wh- whoever it is now. It
0: yeah, it. is the Wizards of the Coast still? I Wizards of
1: the Coast it still is. You know what the, the parent <clears throat> entity is called, but let's assume that that's yeah. who it is. And then
0: Section B, more interesting, the copyright for a compilation extends only to the material contributed by the author of the compilation and is distinguished from the pre-existing material employed in the work. So what this is saying is it's acknowledging that he does not own the copyright to any of the cards or any of the elements on the cards, only to his compilation. Well, Kirk, we just said the compilation is just the deck, so what else is there?
1: Now it gets interesting, and this is, I think, the thing we've got for it. One thing to keep in mind, and I think it's important to keep in mind with this, the copyright office did not go into the level of analysis we are going into right now
0: in no. order to grant this. They, they might have spent, I don't, I don't know how they work, but I'm guessing they spent less than a half an hour on this. Yeah,
1: you know? and most of the time when they look at it, they look at it to just say, is this sufficiently original as to whatever yeah. we is, whatever it is, does it meet the criteria, and did you fill out the form
0: correctly, yeah. you know, quite frankly? And other than that, they take your word for it, whatever you put on there.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, when we look at it and say, we're not digging into what is the copyright here, The copyright office didn't dig into that. They looked at it and said, you are getting a a copyright on a collective work, which is a deck of magic cards. That meets the criteria, we're done. So they didn't necessarily look into what is the copyright on. What is that? Um, and that's what we're going to dig into right now. Is you know, yeah. what does that copyright on?
0: It's easier to understand the compilation in a more traditional medium where you've got a newspaper where you have font size selection, arrangement, where order you put the articles in, where you break them to put you know continue it on page five. The same with the magazine. There's a lot. It's a lot easier to see the creative choices that go into how you put together the compilations, or yes. something like a website. You know where there's like a layout element of it as well. But here, this is more like um, just like a top ten list. You know.
1: Yeah, and the biggest problem you we. Know, we bump into is it's, and some of it's not even what's his registration. If I was to register a newspaper page as a compilation, I'm not going to give you a listing of articles. I'm going to send you the actual newspaper page. Um, And so, you know, from that point of view, I kind of look at it and say, well, again, what is it that that has this in it? Um, What is this
0: work... Yeah. Well, and then you also have to send in a deposit. You've got to send in a copy of the work. So, yeah. what did he do? Mail him a deck of cards?
1: You, know, you can do it with a copy or a scan. Yeah. So, I mean, it could obviously be a scan. But again, did he send it as a list or did he send it as like
0: the scans of the cards? And like and was the I want, I'd love to see the deposit on this was it like laid out in a certain way to show them all or to just have like one on each page it'd be really interesting to see yeah. what exactly he did and on the on the application form you have to specify what is not your copyright that's included yeah so he'd have to say well these are you know the, the card the cards themselves
1: were not, not his copyright yeah yeah so again I think what we're looking at with this and what we look at is there's two ways to look at what he actually got a compilation copyright on one of which is, is that he actually got in some sense a textual copyright on the card list. Yeah. The second one is is that he got a compilation, being the deck of cards, and I think the latter is the more accurate more intuitive way to sense, think about right? Because
0: if he just deposited a list of cards, that might not meet the threshold level of creativity. Yeah. I don't and know. That'd be tougher. You'd me. have to
1: argue, in some sense, you'd be arguing the list itself is subject to copyright. Yeah. which means somebody couldn't copy the list, not the compilation.
0: Well, then you could still use the deck.
1: Yes, yeah. right? so And that's and so again, I think we got to say it probably is. The the compilation is the collection of cards. That's yeah. what he's trying to say, which forms the deck.
0: We should also point out the only reason this one's so interesting is that he actually got the registration for purposes of making all of these strange and, and yes. esoteric <laughs> legal points. But obviously, anybody who's played Magic or you know you and I play Hearthstone, we have made decks. I have yes. made wholly original decks of my own design. Um, you know, query whether I could go then go file a copyright registration with a screenshot of my Hearthstone deck. <laughs> and, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could get a registration on that. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, what is it on? So. You know, Doctor Hovden clearly owns no copyright to the elements of the deck itself. Um, and it's, it's not really clear what it does cover, especially when we consider um, something we call the idea-expression dichotomy yeah. and the merger doctrine, which merger doctrine we case. raised in the Google case. And we're going to get to that in a second. But let's get into the idea-expression. Um, you can copyright the expression of an idea, but you cannot copyright the idea itself. we talked about that many times. Um, if you don't believe me, it says that right in those same laws. We just quoted. <laughs> Section 1 too. 2 says, just so it's not clear, this does not extend to ideas of themselves. So... The um, idea
1: behind it is that I can copyright a specific layout of, you know, a, a questionable murder, and whether or not you know that haunts the you know young Danish prince, also known as Hamlet. Yes, um, I can get a copyright on Hamlet, but I cannot get a copyright on making a plot, which is the same as Hamlet, set in 2021 involving robots,
0: or, or set yeah. in, uh, in Canada involving the Elsinore Brewery and Bob and Doug McKenzie. <laughs> exactly. which, if you've never seen Strange <laughs> Brew, it's just Hamlet.
1: Uh, it's, uh, it's, I thought it was Big
0: uh, no, it's, it's Hamlet because okay. the, the brewmaster is the uncle, and then his dad is is murdered and comes back as a ghost. Even oh, okay, and then uh, the hockey player is in the insane asylum because he's playing the the Hamlet character, and then Bob and Doug McKenzie are, are Gildon Cranston Rosenstern. Stern. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so yeah, and that's and again, I think when we get into this. You can't copyright the general concept of you know a murder mystery, but you can concept you can copyright a specific murder mystery. Your your way of doing it. Yep. Um, so that's that's where they get into the idea of expression dichotomy. The idea is a murder mystery. The expression yep. is the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the, the difference of sort of you know, what you encounter with
0: these things. The one I always use is the sprawling fantasy epic tale involving a ragtag collection of a diverse group of reluctant <laughs> adventurers plucked from their homes and sent on a long journey to save the world from an ancient evil. <laughs> Does that sound like a story you've heard? The Hobbit! Yeah. And Lord of the Rings, uh, Dragonlance, The Wheel of Time, Game of Thrones, <laughs> The Dark Tower. I mean, we go on and on and on. <laughs> that's just what I thought of you know, while I was writing this exactly. thing down. So nobody owns that idea. Everybody can tell that story. So. But what do you do when the expression that you've got is really the only way to express the idea, uh, and there's no other way? So if somebody has a particular expression copyrighted, basically, effectively, nobody else can express it. That seems to be the situation here. Once he says, well, I have the idea for this deck and I own the copyright, well, the idea and the expression are basically the same thing, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and that's where we now get into this sort of merger doctrine. And and the idea that if we start looking at it and saying, hey, you really can't say the expression and the idea are separate." you have what's called merger. And when you get into merger, it says you can't copyright a merger because you can't copyright the idea. Yes. You can only copyright the expression. And that
0: even applies to things that do have copyrightable elements. You can't copyright the parts that are merged together with the expression.
1: Yeah. Um, and so now we get into, well, then again, what did he copyright? You know, what is, what is not the idea here? What is not the idea of the deck? If you contemplate what a Magic the Gathering deck is, obviously a Magic the Gathering deck has... You know, concept of you make cards that work together, mm-hmm. that are designed to, you know, fight in a particular way, yeah. when, you know... there's synergies, a and they, way, they make each other stronger. Anybody who does anything in a strategy guide for any kind of, you know, card game knows that this is what is the... You know, there are podcasts that go into this on Magic, I'm certain, yeah. you know, how to do this <laughs> in conjunction with decks. So, you know, we, we get into the idea that, you know, what, again... Where? What are we copyrighting?
0: Yeah, and, and <laughs> it, it seems to me like there would be a strong argument here that that, that this is a merger case. The expression and the idea are one and the same thing. There's yeah. no other way to express this, you know, uh, because they've they're just one and the same. It's that it's that simple. So if that's the case, you'd have a defense. And again, the copyright office does not look into the merger doctrine when they when they look at these <laughs> things for the most part. Right. Um, that's something that gets sorted out in litigation, and part of it's
1: because they can't. You know, yeah. they don't necessarily know the environment in which this exists. They see just the cards, and so they don't necessarily know that you know. Oh, this means there is no other way to do this. Yeah,
0: exactly right. <laughs> and there's one other related doctrine that that Kirk alluded to earlier: the functionality doctrine. You can't copyright something that is what we call the useful arts, as opposed to the fine arts or functional elements. If the function and expressive elements also merge into one you again have no copyright, and the classic example of this in in law school textbooks is a designer belt buckle case from the 70s where the argument was made that the design and the function are one, the belt buckle is the claimed copyright, and a belt buckle is obviously functional. It holds your belt on, it holds yeah. your pants up. So, you know, you, you, they, they merge together. Um, more recently, we had the cheerleader uniform case, which kind of addressed uh, a circuit split into how the merger doctrine is applied. It's kind of a nuanced case, but. The bottom line is uh, Judge Thomas, who uh, Kirk and I often give plaudits for seemingly being the only (laughs) justice that that really dives into these IP issues, uh, uh, the way we do at least, Um, he wrote the majority opinion and uh, it made a lot of sense. He said, the design on the uniform is just a uniform-shaped design, but it does not merge with the utility. They're not claiming to own uh, the fact that there are armholes. Uh, They're just saying it's the design of our uniform. And they give the example of uh, painting the top of a guitar. Okay, I can separate it from the guitar. It is physically separable. Yeah. You just have a guitar-shaped design. Likewise, I can physically separate the appearance of the cheerleader uniform from a physical uniform. It's yeah. proven by the fact that there were images of it submitted in the case. Yeah,
1: you know? well, and even in the fact that you get know, into like the idea of a guitar. Guitars can have different shapes. Yes, you know, and do on a regular basis. I mean, there are plenty of famous guitar shapes. Um, my, my my son has discovered from my old PlayStation Guitar Hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they have crazy shapes of guitars. The flying in there, V, you know. and all that stuff. <laughs> Yeah. You have The traditional ones that are actually like real guitars, they have things like the side, you know, oh, it's yeah. just, you know, crazy fun, um, you know, and stuff like that. So it's one of those things where I think you, you can really look at it and say there is this idea of separation. The Supreme Court of that, that Schroeder uniform case is one of the most recent cases on it and yeah. recognize that you can separate it. We get into the idea of a music deck, of a magic deck again. We look at it and say, is there anything here which can be separated?
0: Yeah. How would you separate the functionality of the deck from the expression of what it yeah. is?
1: Now, part of it, I think, you can get into, and it's uh, the nature of the deck. I'm trying to know what he called it. Is it? Is
0: I think it, it was Angels, Angels and Demons? Demons. Yeah. Um, which is also a Dan Brown novel, I believe. Yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think when you get into the idea of you know it being called Angels and Demons, uh, it being something associated with, there is a functionality in conjunction with. The
0: um, But the magic rules, basically, The magic right? rules,
1: but it's also the idea of saying if you're going to be angels and demons, there are cards in magic which are going to have similar abilities. Mm-hmm. You're now selecting to use the angel version, you know, the angel, the Sarah angel uses as an example, as opposed to a card that has a similar ability to that. And I think particularly in magic, I don't know, again, I haven't played magic for a long time, but it's one of those things where, you know, there, there's oftentimes, and again, we know it in Hearthstone, there to be two cards which are functionally identical. Yeah. It's just because of the nature of this one's in type 1, this one's in type 2, the one in type 1 is no longer usable in type 2. They want that particular card, so they create a new one in type new 2. New version. Well, yeah. then eventually that new version cycles into type 1. And the two cards are literally interchangeable. Yep. Uh, at that point, I was, which one do you want to use? Um, So you can get into the idea that there's those things where, you know, yes, there's some choices here that may relate to the fact that I chose an angel card as opposed to, you know, you know, you know, random flying phantom that has the same ability.
0: Yeah. And I didn't look at the deck. It's possible that he selected the deck based on artistic considerations as opposed to gameplay considerations, which would weaken the functionality argument where you would say, no, I'm really just selecting an arrangement of cards based on an artistic theme as opposed to a gameplay theme. That might help get around it. But then I think if you went to try to enforce it in a tournament, you'd run into trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think you definitely get into, you know, sort of... um, I think you sort of get into things where you get into this now... Where, where is the gameplay of this versus the artistic selection of cards?
0: Yeah, because absent the rules of magic, a lot of what's on the cards doesn't really mean anything in isolation. Yeah, you know, like it's the mana text. cost doesn't really matter. It's text that only has function within the context of the game. So if yeah. you're not actually playing the deck, now are we in a situation where you only have a copyright to the deck when it's not being played?
1: Yeah, and you get into something where, like, a rule, like, and the example for, like, a magic deck, especially in early cards, and, again, I'm trying to come up with one of the abilities, but I think one of the abilities was First Strike, if I remember correctly. In the original magic cards, it just said First Strike. It didn't tell you what First Strike did. Yeah. In modern magic cards, it usually says on the card what First Strike's ability is. But when we get into that, and sort of the question of what does it mean for something to be First Strike? You then bump into the idea that that only has meaning in the magic universe, even though that phrase is a phrase. So. We, we're really, this we're really time, we're stretching really getting... the boundaries
0: of this doctrine. You know, I yeah. mean, you, you, you can tell by how hard it is to kind of talk about this that uh, Professor Hovden has, has really rather brilliantly found a, a huge blind spot in the Copyright Act, where it it seems to on its face allow for this kind of thing, but really having trouble articulating what exactly it is he owns and how yes. it interacts with the non copyrightable elements. And I think that's the key problem here is he did get this thing registered. And
1: if we look at this as being a provocateur type of argument, is his argument, this shouldn't have been registered?
0: I think that is why he did yeah, it, the, say the, it shouldn't have been.
1: Well, but it shouldn't have been because the Copyright Office should have realized that under the Merger Doctrine we can't get yeah. this. Or the, is he looking at it and saying, it is copyrightable, but it shouldn't be because it's not yeah. these doctrines... You know he, he's missing the fact that the doctrines exist that say that yes you got this registered but you can't
0: enforce it yeah because as soon as you walk into a court the court's going to say well actually you shouldn't have gotten it. and and to Corey's credit we should point out Corey's Corey's article which we'll link to his article is really good um, I, I have uh, significant differences with Corey's take on how to solve a lot of the problems in the IP but he has um, uh, I think it's rare amongst non-lawyers to engage with the substantive law as much as he has. Um, and so he also points out some open source like copyright textbooks and casebooks. So if you're interested in digging into this stuff, uh, go check Corey's article. Like I said, we'll, we'll link to on our website. But uh, he provides references, uh, citations, and he actually called IP lawyers and asked them these questions. So uh, he provides a really nice overview of this stuff as well. Um, so let's, let's just assume for sake of argument that this copyright uh, is, is valid and could be enforced. Uh, that unfortunately is is only the beginning, uh, because <laughs> the question of how exactly you infringe <laughs> it, yeah, it's even weirder. <laughs> so now I get to do, we assume that there
1: is something that says he has a copyright in the deck being the collection of cards. Now the issue with it is is I go out and I make his deck out of my collection of cards. I have a large collection of magic yeah. cards. Let's assume this is. Let's assume I've got all stuff the cards. It yeah. was from twenty years ago, but you know it's all modern cards. Is what it is? I make his deck. I've made his deck. Now what? Have I actually infringed his copyright?
0: Let's look. So, um, section 106 of the same title, 17 U.S.C. 106, tells you what your copyright rights are, and the rights you have depend on what kind of work it is. Um, so, there are only six. Uh, one of them, the last one, number six, does not apply. It applies only to sound recordings transmitted online. Not, not the case here. Um, number one uh, is the exclusive right to reproduce the copyrighted work in copies. So... If you make your own deck, have you made a copy of the compilation?
1: And the answer to it is, is sort of? Yeah,
0: I, I think arguably you have. Um, but what if I already own all the cards? Like, um, that, it intuitively doesn't seem like that should be a copyright infringement. If I already have all the cards, but I physically gather these specific ones together, I've infringed? That that doesn't seem correct to
1: yeah, me. Yeah, because now it looks like the thing that says, and I think the key with this is I also own legitimate copies of these. Yeah. So it's one of those things looking at and it, saying, well, if I go out and I buy you know if i own the short stories which are in your compilation and i take those short stories and i put them on my desk and i duct tape them together yeah now i'm making it a compilation have i infringed your compilation just cuz i put the same stories in the same order and these are well, but I have rights to all those short stories. Yeah,
0: I own copies. I own
1: copies. All I did is use my copy.
0: Or how about somebody has a top ten list of, of the best uh, best short stories of the year, or best best online articles. One of the yeah. top ten list of the best best CNN articles of the year, and I go click on them all. What, have, I, have I infringed a compilation copy right now by going and looking at them? That doesn't seem right.
1: Yeah, well, this is how we go to the idea of the copy of the, in the list versus the compilation. Yeah. You know, where we say, "Hey, okay, you have a right in the, not the listing of the works, but in the actual collection of the short stories. Well, what do I bump into? And I can't just say because I own rights in the short stories, I'm entitled to infringe your compilation. Right. Because then I could go out and buy rights from the authors of the short stories and reproduce the compilation, which I'm not entitled to do. I'm making copies. But when we get into this, and, and part of it maybe do we have a for sale doctrine issue here, here, where yeah. we're, we're talking about, I'm not putting together his deck, I'm putting together a collection of copies mm-hmm. of these things, which are all legitimately owned. I'm not actually making a copy of his deck. And this, yeah. is, it, this may sound really odd to our readers, yeah. but I'm saying, isn't that a copy? And the answer to it is... is it is, but it's also not a copy.
0: Yeah. I'm not literally copying his deck. It's really strange. This And Corey provides the a, a conceptual exercise in his, his article that I find helpful to sort this out. But while, while looking at that, I thought of another one. Let's talk about Machete Order. Good. Yeah. What is Machete Order?
1: Machete Order is, the, and I don't remember the individual's name, but it's the idea of how you should watch the Star Wars movies for somebody who did not grow up with the Star Wars movies yeah. coming out in a certain order.
0: So the, the <laughs> idea is, you know, when you have something like Star Wars where there's multiple entries, and, and you, by the way, you should not have been surprised we somehow found a way to make this about Star Wars. Of but. course
1: we did. <laughs> now, if you don't want to talk about miss, uh, uh, machete order, we can also talk about spaghetti order, which is how to do it with
0: the Marvel Universe. Oh my, that, that's a whole separate <laughs> conversation. So the, the idea when you have something like Star Wars where there's multiple entries and there is basically two orders. There's the internal narrative order, what order things take place chronologically, in the story, and then there's the publication order, which is not the same. Yeah, you have the same thing with the Chronicles of Narnia, with uh, with uh, the Asimov novels. This is a pretty common problem when you have prequels. So, yeah, what order do you watch them in? I'm a purist, so to me, it is well. I want to have the artistic experience the same way they were written. So I watch in publication order. So for Star Wars, it would be four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine. Simple enough. Yeah. But um, Machete, that's his online uh, handle. I forget what his real name is. Uh, poses the the argument that there's actually a better way to ro- watch these.
1: Well, and the key thing about watching them, and I think that this is the the key aspect of this is when we when we watch Star Wars in conjunction with it. At the end of Empire Strikes Back, we did not yeah. know whether or not Darth Vader yeah. was Luke's father.
0: We don't know. It's one of the biggest cliffhangers, and then we find <laughs> out in Episode Six. And Machete's point is, if you watch in publication order. Then um you find out in six and you go back and watch one, two, and three, but you already know uh, whether or not you know so you already know who Anakin we've is. We've already
1: seen it. Yeah. And we already knew that and in some sense one, two and three are intended to be that way. Yep. The problem with it is, is that today the vast majority of people do know this. Yep. You know, and know that he is that. So there's not the cliffhanger so t- effect. T- 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 so, yeah, it
0: takes away the cliffhanger effect. And if you watch in, in chronological order, well, then it ruins the surprise entirely, right? Yeah, because, because you, you watch, you watch one, two, three, you already know. So, Machetti's argument is if you've never seen Star Wars, you should watch four and five, then go back and watch Two and three, because three is when you definitively find out. And you just don't watch out. one at
1: all, and that's kind yeah. of the thing. Then Michigan you go
0: did. back and watch six, and then <laughs> you know seven, eight, nine, whatever you want to do. Yeah, and and one's kind of off on its own because, as Kirk and I have discussed before, it's basically a whole separate movie that's got nothing to do with anything else.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and and the real key behind it is a way to preserve the cliffhanger of Empire Strikes yeah. Back while at the same time allowing you to. Follow the question of who is Anakin Skywalker yeah. before you actually know who Anakin Skywalker is. And the, the thing with the Machete Order, just, you know, I, I actually did watch the the movies with my kids in Machete Order, who already knew, you know, prior yeah. to it, that Luke was the thing. And they, they understood why we did it, but they didn't really like it. I think yeah. they would have preferred to actually watch them in. Um, chronological order, quite frankly. There's,
0: by the way, a whole genre of YouTube videos of of Gen X dads having their kids watching Machete Order and recording their reaction when they get to that scene in Empire. And the reactions vary from complete indifference... Uh, to to <laughs> sobbing So if, if you want to Entertain yourself At the expense of, of children <laughs> there's, there's something for you to do You'll waste an entire Saturday On this Okay so Machete order Is kind of similar To this deck thing right We're just picking out A list of movies In what order to watch them in Yeah So if I own all All nine of the Star Wars movies Plus Rogue One And Solo, so i got 11 of these I've got them all sitting On DVDs on my shelf so what? I can't just pick them out and put them in this order on my shelf yeah. because now I'm, I've infringed the copyright and machete
1: order? Well, and a good example of this actually in some sense if you go on Disney Plus they go through like Clone Wars and here's the essential Ahsoka Tano episode. Yeah. Well, that's a compilation. Yeah. You know, so we, we can look at it and say you know, these kind of things exist. Now, we look at the one and say Disney having that, combi- that combination there that is a compilation they, again, arguably own a copyright in. They own the copyrights in all of the movies, too. So that's mm-hmm. going to become you know, an issue here with this. Um, but what does it mean to infringe the the watching them in order versus the list of them being yeah. in
0: order? Cle- clearly nothing would stop me from just choosing to watch them in that order because somebody else came up with it. Yeah. You know? So a copyright wouldn't cover that. But it would just seems odd that there would be any copyright enforceable at all in the selection and arrangement itself. Um, because what does it cover, right? We're back to the merger doctrine. Um, The the mere existence of the order is itself the idea.
1: Yeah, And, and the idea that somehow the order gives you a better story, too. I mean, that's, I think, some of the thing with it as well, is the reason why we're proposing machete order is the argument that it preserves aspects of the story which are otherwise not preserved.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's look at it. So we think reproduction probably unlikely to work. Uh, you know, merger doctrine would seem to kill it off, but even if it existed, um, you know, I guess I mean, on, the, on the face of it, it seems like making the deck would, would infringe, maybe, uh, but I think it would be t- a tough one to enforce. Um, yeah,
1: I think that the real problem we get into in conjunction with this thing is the, this real question of how do you infringe this? Yeah. And again, the, the question with it is as well, the deck is also shuffled.
0: So we're going to get to that. So, one of, the, one of the other rights is the, t- the public display right. So, yeah. if I take my deck to a tournament, um, have I publicly displayed it? The deck is face down, and as Kirk said, it's shuffled. So, is the is the, is the copyright on an ordered list? Yeah. Because Machete Order, it's about the order, order, not just which movies.
1: And now when we're talking about a deck, we're talking about the fact that it, it has no order. Now, a compilation does not have to have an order. Doesn't it have to have a compilation right. without the order. Um, that is a perfectly acceptable sort of thing with it. But what you really are bumping into again now with this is what what is the copyright on? If there's no order to the copyright... And it's just the collection. It's just the collection of those specific things. How do I infringe? Do, if I have the deck... <laughs> the only way for me to infringe this, there's two ways for me to infringe it. One, I write down the list. Yeah. Now, if I write down the list, one could argue that infringes the copyright in the list. But I have to have copied well, maybe it. Maybe it's a derivative work, with. you
0: know, something yeah. like that. And
1: remember, I can't have come up with it independently. I have yes. to have, you know, done, you know, done the. the I have, to have copied his list. Okay, there's there's something there. You know, if I physically copied his list, you know, I yeah. downloaded it and copied it. Okay, you know, there's something there. But if I make the deck, <laughs> did I copy? The, what have I
0: copied? Like what
1: have I copied? <laughs> you know, again, what's the compilation?
0: Well, then if you take it to a tournament, you know, I've I've got the deck. I have a copy there. It's there. It's in public. But I'm not displaying the compilation. But, you know, I mean, I get to all the... So over the course of playing, I'll turn over some of the cards, but this is so weird, right? Because... I'm not going
1: to play all the cards. I mean, I mean, I'm
0: probably not going to get to all the cards, and you're not going to see them all at once. So unless you're sitting there keeping track of it, how would you ever know if I actually displayed the entire compilation or not? Yeah. Or if I only explained, displayed part of it, so it's a partial infringement? you get in some really weird well, stuff Or even to get
1: into a weird one, I have a card, one of the cards with it, I don't know what the deck is, I have a card with it which allows me to take a card back out of my graveyard and put it into yeah. my hand. Well, haven't I now put that
0: work in twice? What if I have a functionally equivalent card, but I'm using a custom card with with fan art.
1: Yeah, or I have a card which has a token, and I use a different token. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the the fan art's a good example because a number of magic cards have different artwork. What if I display the artwork and I use my cards in French as opposed to in English? Yeah. You know, it's a translation of the the thing, you know, which arguably infringes it. But now I have different wording. I have different cards. What is the compilation to? And again, recognizing the underlying person does not have any rights in the underlying
0: cards. This is a nightmare. This is an absolute nightmare of a case. This is why <laughs> we well, want to talk about it so much. This is this is, this is is a law school problem. It I is. This, this is if, you, if you efforts. wonder what law school is like, it's three years of, of talking about this kind of thing. Although it's not usually Magic the Gathering. Although I will tell you, when I took the Illinois bar, there was a Star Wars question in the uh, the, the, the contracts uh, section. So uh, this stuff is even snuck into the bar exams. But um, yeah, this I, I think the fact that we're having so much trouble articulating how infringement would work Lends credence to the idea that the merger doctrine probably kills us at copyrightability. Yes, in the first and I think
1: place. that's really the and and this is where let's get into the you know why do we do this? Why do we care about this as to what it is? We, let's take the fact that this is a product who we're trying to say something. Yeah. I looked at it and I say there's two things you're trying to say one of which is the copyright office never should have granted this in the first place because it's invalid
0: yeah I don't think that's what he's getting at if you know the copyright office works then they don't have the discretion to not but it's also
1: in some sense that's an illegitimate point yeah because if you looked at it and said the copyright office grants things which are later invalidated by the courts of course they did that's how it's supposed to work and so they're going to grant you know invalid copyrights
0: yeah We have the same thing to a lesser extent in patents. And people sometimes don't understand this. Why do all these invalid patents get granted? You know, the idea is to limit how many ultimately invalid patents get granted. But the standard for figuring out whether any given patent should be issued or or copyright should be granted, you know, would would require you to, to drain the entire world's collective knowledge for every single case that's filed. Uh, The resources required to do that are astronomical, and 99.9% of these is never going to matter. They're not going to be enforced or practiced or infringed or anything. And so the idea is, we'll, we'll, we'll let economics sort this out, right? The ones that are actually worth something and are being infringed, we'll let the parties involved battle that out in court and use the legal discovery process to figure out whether it's valid or not, as part of that process, let's just minimize how many invalid things get out there by making it really hard to get them in the first place uh, with patents more so than copyrights, so that once it's out there, we're pretty sure it's, it's invalid, and, uh, and if it's not, then it'll, it'll, get, it'll get sorted out. But there's no reason to spend millions of dollars examining every patent or doing less of a reason for copyrights, because even fewer copyrights are enforced than patents.
1: Yeah, well, and, and the real thing we, we sort of get into with this is the argument that the Copyright Office shouldn't have granted this copyright is a, It's a legitimate argument, but it's one of those things that, again, practically is impossible. Yeah. And there's far better arguments than I'm going to come up with something which I think is ludicrous. You, you get the one in the patent where people are like, why should this stupid patent to entertaining a cat with a laser pointer or to the you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich or to a method of making toast or to scuba gear for dogs. Swinging
0: sideways. Yeah,
1: why should all of these things I be... the
0: snake harness was my favorite the one. Snake harness.
1: <laughs> why should all these things be granted patents which, you know, are not, as you would say, are not patentable. And usually this is because they are patentable. They may not be valuable. They may be kind of silly, you know, sort of stuff like that. But they meet the criteria of what it means to be patentable, and that's what people were doing with this. Yeah. Um, so you know, that's the um, that's the, the the thing that again I think we get into when we start talking about this is again it's one of the ideas to say no, we're not. Um,
0: I kind of suspect what they were really trying to criticize is the copyright institution itself. If you follow Corey's work in particular... Um, he is, uh, on the one hand, very appreciative of the nuances and complexity of this, uh, but like a lot of people, uh, myself included, I'm also guilty of this, uh, really oversimplifies the answers. And, and I think what, what gets missed a lot of times in in criticizing these IP institutions, which you and I are critical of as well, we've got our own share of complaints about uh, copyright in particular, uh, is, is in some ways just kind of psychotic. I mean, it's, it's, it's a square peg, round hole type problem where we're using this uh, a doctrine that exists because we needed to deal with the advent of the printing press, and it's now covering how we license uh, you know, digital audio radio transmissions, right? that's That's kind of silly, but it's easier to kind of shoehorn that into the existing institution than to come up with a new one. But the reason it's so complicated now is because we had a simple solution, and then... Things changed, changed. <laughs> and the courts don't have a new law to deal with it, and so we've just got to shoehorn this all in and make it work. Yeah, And and I think the what gets overlooked with these, these solutions, why don't we just do X, is that might solve the problem we have right now, but when it's a whole new world 20 years from now with a whole new set of problems, you haven't anticipated how that's going to screw up today's solution. So yep. it's really easy to come up with sort of a, a pithy, why don't we just do X, Y, Z, but it's because you don't have to confront what's going to happen in 30 years when, uh, when it's a mess. And unfortunately, it's just the nature of the beast. This is how legislation works. You, you do your best to anticipate these things, but in the American legal system, especially where you have you know, common law decisions, uh, Congress relies more and more on courts to take the broadly worded language of these statutes and apply them in a rational, sane way, and to rely upon the adversarial system that we use in legal enforcement to suss out the best arguments either way and come up with something that's workable. And when they don't, that's what the appellate courts are for. And that's how that's how we get to these these really odd situations like this where you can kind of sit on the sidelines and say, okay, but what about my magic deck, yo? And 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 there's really no good answer to it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the um, the sort of biggest things you know we get into um, you know with this is what how do we deal with this? Yeah. You know, if we look at it and say this copyright was granted. There is an argument to say it shouldn't have been granted, but the answer to it is is that copyrights that shouldn't be granted. They're done all the time, yeah. and they're enforced by the courts.
0: Is this situation grounds for copyright reform, or is this something that is never going to be enforced? But if it was, a court would hastily dispose on it on merger doctrine.
1: Yeah, and this, it would be so easily to dis- so easy to dispose of. You'd think so, right? It would never be an issue.
0: Yeah, you know, and yeah.
1: I, and I guess that's the way I look at it. Is you know, great, we have this. Um, you know, we have this thing that that got granted. But as much as he says I did it so, you know, in four the deck, if he ever did bring this copyright suit, he would just simply lose.
0: Yeah. I think that's what's gonna that's what's gonna happen here. So
1: And so what we really look at and say is great, this is a premature saying this shouldn't have been granted. At the same time, yes it should. And the courts are going to do what they're going to do yeah. to it if it makes it to the courts, which is look at it and say, under merger doctrine, it'll be granted. Yeah,
0: This is sort of a, uh, that's not a bug, it's a feature. Working as intended, you know? Yeah, working <laughs> as
1: intended is a good way to, to put it, I guess.
0: Well, a, a uh, final note, we're going to bring this back to Google v. Oracle. Um, what I'm, I'm going to post a link to a, the copyright circular uh, that uh, talks about how compilations work. Um, it, it mentions in the circular that the compilation is a selection uh uh, organization, coordination, arrangement, whatever of elements—not the elements itself. You know, the copyright is the deck of cards, uh, the concept of the deck of cards, but not the, um, you know, not the uh, uh, the art on the cards themselves. If you go back to our Google v. Oracle case. We, we mentioned this issue there, and the question of the API in Google v. Oracle uh, was really not about whether something like the function math.cosign is copyrighted, but whether the selection, uh, arrangement, or what we call in computer sequence, structure, and organization, the SSO, of copyright calls is itself copyrightable. Um, you know, and that's a that's a you know SSO is basically a type of compilation copyright, uh, and and the the part that Kirk and I were were a little alarmed about in that Supreme Court case was that the majority opinion really threw some cold water on the idea that an SSO to an API would ever be copyrightable at all. They stopped sort of actually saying so, which uh, Mr. Justice Thomas criticized them for, um, but they didn't express doubt about it. And you know, we mentioned that. In you know, in that episode, that the, the case really is about the SSO and the difference between a compilation copyright versus what would normally be a literary work More, for a computer yeah. software. That that difference really is the whole point of the entire case, and it seems to have been overlooked by virtually everybody. it's Totally not part
1: of the case, and partially because the case goes fair use. Yeah. you know, which is the thing. With, I assume that's
0: but- because it wasn't preserved or raised correctly uh, at the lower courts or was disposed of there uh, and deemed to be a weak argument for reasons that I haven't, I haven't dug into yet. But every time I come back to this issue, this is what Google v. Oracle should have been about mm-hmm. and wasn't.
1: Yeah, and and that's you have to wonder if part of the reason why we're looking at this is this may have come about when Google Oracle was still be decided. You know, it's probably potentially when you filed for the copyright registration here. Yeah, you know, is part of what this is is to point out the fact that you can get copyright on a very narrow form of SSO. Yeah, and there should be some enforceability even in this. You know, in this case, looking at this is probably thinner than what Oracle had. Yeah, you know, I mean, this arguably this this copyright of the deck is thinner than the argument in the SSO that Oracle has.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, the deck here, there's nothing original in it in terms of adding anything other than the selection of the works. But yeah. with the Oracle case. You know, Sun had to name all these functions. They had to pick out where they go. You know, you can separate the expression from the function. Uh, Google did it because they copied it before they had their own system written, so clearly they could separate it. Um, So it's you know, I think the copyright in in Google v. Oracle is is a much stronger case of copyright eligibility, and that's one of the reasons why I was I was grateful, I guess, that the Supreme Court there did not hold that you know an API is categorically not copyright eligible. Um, It'll be interesting. Interesting to see if courts look at um, look at it from that point of view. And if, when we get around to that issue, which I think is going to be raised, we're going to eventually have a case. It comes back to the question of: <laughs> Can you ever copyright an API? Uh, Google v. Oracle did not answer it for us, but we're going to have a situation like this. You know, we're going to have software companies that start, um, you know, filing copyright registrations just on their header files, just on their APIs, yeah. and they're going to get one the same way that Dr. Hovden did here. But you know, as, as we just discussed, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to hold up.
1: Now, another piece of this, and another thing to sort of as well keep in mind about, you know, the idea of getting these, these copyrights as to what it is, is what does it really mean to get the copyright? And again, yeah. I sort of started here at this point, they got a registration, he yeah. got a registration. Technically, if you can have a copyright in a magic deck, we all get one every time we make the magic deck.
0: Yeah, that's exactly you know? right. The registration is kind of a ministerial prerequisite to file a lawsuit. It gets you some extra procedural rights. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of the substantive copyright itself, if that is copyrightable, then everybody owns a copyright to all their Magic decks. And if you've ever played a game like this, lots of different people independently come up with the same deck ideas. Yeah. Or, you've, or you swap cards out. You know, everybody knows what teching is. You know, you're going to you know, swap cards out to play against a certain type of deck in a tournament or something like that. So are those all derivative works? Like, this all goes back to this isn't really yeah. a copyright.
1: And that's, and that's where I get, I think we get into the fact that it's, you know, we look at this and say he got a copyright, and the answer to it is, is no, he got a registration yeah. because we have an overworked bureaucracy that can't look into complicated legal issues like this that are for the courts and for people like us on yeah. podcasts. Because there's no
0: it. reason to, right? I mean, how many people could, could file silly things like this? And how much money would be wasted going through and doing all this legal analysis and also pro- possibly still getting it wrong? I mean, as we've discussed here, it's not clear what the answer is. Uh, we think merger probably kills this, but but by no means is that a, is that a, a certainty. Yeah, we're not judges. I mean, yeah. we would have to be the
1: judge this case comes in front of, we would have to have that finding and then that would not be reversed yep. on appeal for it to be accurate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to just uh, mention that in the context of Google v. Oracle, and that we thought the maybe the stronger analysis there, more so than fair use, was to go after um, uh, the fun, not the functionality doctrine, the merger doctrine, and argue that the. The, the idea itself has merged in. Uh, but, you know, it, it may have been that they looked at that and decided that uh, that was weaker than fair use because of the reason we just said, that the argument for a copyright is actually relatively strong in a situation like an API. So, anyway, so there you go. There is uh, Magic the Gathering and your deck copyrights. <laughs> lots
1: of it in deck copyrights. I mean... I'm sure yeah. you're all
0: racing off to the copyright <laughs> office to register your decks now.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and, and to get into it, you it's what it is. We're just talking about Magic the Gathering. There are all sorts of oh, yeah. card games that, you know... And this is where we get into, you know, if there is a copyright available here. And again, if we look at it and say there is a copyright, there is a copyright in this. It may be one which is not really enforceable in any way, shape, or form because really the merger doctrine kills for being a copyright. But to the extent we say there is a copyright in any of this, there's a copyright in every deck in every game. Yeah. You know, there's arguably a copyright in you know the Texas Hold'em deck, which is used because it's not. It's I think it's Texas Hold'em that doesn't use a complete deck for purposes of poker. There's a poker oh, Texas, version. Texas
0: does use the uh, the full uh, deck. I'm trying to think. Um, there's, right, yeah, of poker there's one that doesn't. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't use
1: a full deck. Um, you know, there's a copyright in that deck, and it's you kind of bump in and you're like, wait, you know, this doesn't make any sense. And again, that's where I think you get into it is it's we have to keep in mind there's copyrights in huge numbers of things which aren't going to ever be enforced or met. I mean, Ben, I'm, so we're sitting here in Ben's office. There is a copyright in the arrangement of objects in Ben's office, which he has yeah. a copyright in.
0: Well, I did this. I can assure you it was not very clear. You
1: know, is he ever <laughs> going to enforce it? No. No. <laughs> you
0: know? No, exactly right. So and we, we've talked before. We may do this someday. But we could do an entire episode about everyday copyright infringement that just happens, and and nobody ever thinks twice about it. And it's it's working everywhere. And I think the fact that it does happen and does not get enforced, for practical reasons, um, it kind of gives rise to... Uh, a couple of things. One is a set of social norms about the permissible use of other people's work, um, which probably informs to a great extent why Corey feels the way that he does about what people should and should not be allowed to do. Um, and then also, um, uh, I, I think, misinforms people about what is legally permissible and what is legally enforceable, which is it's generally much broader than what people actually think it is, but especially in copyright, it's just not worth it. There's no damages. Yeah, and that's, that's really the thing
1: here we're getting into, and again this is what I wanted to say about this episode I think it's an episode this is what it's like to go to law school yeah (laughs) what we just did in conjunction with this at law school you get into arguments like this and basically well they manufacture ridiculous fact patterns yeah and you you purposely manufacture ridiculous fact patterns because they're what's interesting and stuff like that so this is we have manufactured a fact pattern for the purposes of discussing this and discussing what does merger doctrine really mean what do these things really mean Practical reality, you're not going to encounter it. Now, yes, you get private servers, you get people who do the kind of thing where it says, yes, we're going to make this an issue because we can. Yeah.
0: Which is super fun for Which us. Which
1: super fun for <laughs> us, and hopefully super fun for you guys. But yes. again, from a practical point of view, I will be stunned if he ever tries to bring a copyright suit against anybody in their Magic yeah. deck. As to what it is, the next stage of this would be... If you're talking about true product tour, is somebody who's like on a grand tournament scheme needs to make this deck yeah. and bring it to a grand tournament in flagrant violation yeah. of his copyright? He wants to do
0: file for a TRO, and see if
1: he comes after him. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you know, that's the equivalent of the Escher Estate here, you know, yeah. but now coming out in the other direction, of basically saying you're the copyright holder. Are you going to come after me, or are you going to admit that you don't have a case? Um, and so, yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting and it's fun to do this. But ultimately, what we're talking about here is this is probably something where the system is working as intended. The fact yeah. that the copyright was granted, the copyright registration was granted, really doesn't mean anything. This is something the courts would have to do. It's a judicial doctrine. Yeah. And the courts are probably never going to answer this question because it's probably never going to make it to the courts. Yeah. Because, you know, at least in our opinions, it's pretty clear how this falls.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and even if it did, if, if the whole point of this is to illustrate the absurdity of, of this type of copyright, you may have a standing problem. Is it a real case or controversy? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> well, again, he does own the copyright. So he doesn't you have least, it. You know, he oh, yeah. to assert it you know, as to you know, whatever we have there.
0: Okay, so uh, <laughs> that's all for that one. Uh, we are going to continue to do what we've been doing here as far as new content, trying to get at least weekly content of some type out to you, uh, sprinkled in with some of these more traditional episodes with the two of us. We've actually got quite a lot of material to work with. It's just been difficult to get it uh, all scheduled up. So um, it's, I, it's still not
1: being in the office five days a week, yes. <laughs> we were going to
0: record this on tuesday made a to punt to thursday due to reasons so um i, I want to just as a, a general note for you uh gentle listener our last few months have been incredible in terms of listens and downloads so uh please keep doing what you do but i also want to give a shout out to whoever the lunatics are in belgium that are listening <laughs> an enormous number of listens from belgium over the last uh, several months so hello brussels we see you um if you like what you hear, please, please, please go to your favorite platform and give us a review. Uh, we are doing something that is creative here, and when you're in the creative arts, uh, you want to maximize your audience and get as many people in front of it as possible, or, or the other way around. So. Uh, reviews are a big driver of what helps uh, you know, the other 100 people who want to listen to this find us. So us <laughs> find those people. Or at least the other
1: dozen. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes. And, uh, and send us your questions, comments, remarks. Uh, we do read them all. Um, and uh, if you're lucky, you will be featured on this podcast and become famous too. Like we said, literally dozens of people. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all for today. We'll see you next time. Warren, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice, LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri.